so often we can wake up in a certain stage in life and have an unsettling or maybe even a sinking feeling that we thought there'd be more, that, that it would be different, that there would be more, that, that we'd say we just expected something better. And it could really happen at any stage. It's not so closely associated with age, uh, but it could be that you're in college and you think, uh, well, you know, I thought by now I would know where I was headed with my life and what I was going to be doing, and really I have no clue. I thought it would be different than this, or maybe uh, you're kind of out of that college age stage and, and you're looking for a job that's going to be fulfilling or something like that, and it's just not scratching that itch. It's not fulfilling. You say, I thought there would be something more, something better, something different, or, or it could be that you're such and such age and you thought, well, I thought I would be married by now, or um, maybe you're married and you thought, I thought the marriage would be better than this, and then maybe you had a, had a kid to kind of try and fill that void, and, and the children haven't filled that void, and you're thinking, I was expecting something more. And then many people, they'll, they'll turn to religion, and they'll say, well, I'm going to try religion, and they'll try to do the religious thing, and then life doesn't really change And they wake up and think, I thought that by this point, there would be something more, something better, something different. This, quite honestly, was the tone and the tension and the mood during the time of Haggai, when Haggai was written. The people were saying, I really thought it would be better than this. I really thought by the time we got to this point, life would be better and life would be different. I thought we'd be in better shape than we are right now. And so we're so excited to start this new series. It's on the Old Testament book of Haggai. Some pronounce it Haggai. Uh, Both are acceptable. You may even hear me say both of them. Uh, But Haggai was a prophet, and you'd find this book named after him in the Old Testament in a section called the Minor Prophets. And that's not because Haggai never made it to the majors. It's because it's just a really small two-chapter book. And before we dive into the book of Haggai, I just want to give you the backstory today before we look at the main story. I want to give you the prequel today before we look at the main movie. And we've just got to talk about the history of this for a few minutes before we head into this three-week series. So I'm, I'm going to do the best job I can to set up the history and the backstory of this book, okay? If you could just do the best job you could do. Uh, to track with me here for the next few minutes. I don't know if you got to lean in, zero in, draw stick figures on the back of your outline or doodle or what, uh, but track with me. It really goes back to the reign of King Solomon. King Solomon, you know him, David's son, wrote the book of Proverbs. And in the fourth year of his reign, King Solomon started construction on the most magnificent temple for God. And this temple was more glorious than you could ever imagine. In fact, people from all over the world would come to see the temple and worship God. It was completely amazing. But after King Solomon died, the people's hearts turned away from God. And they got distracted like people do. And their hearts turned to idols and they they stopped worshiping God. And so God allowed a series of events to happen to pull people back to worshiping God, to pull their hearts back to himself. And just to make it easy to follow, I put some three bullet points in your outline here. If you want to look at those, we'll just look at them briefly. It was in 587 BC that King Nebuchadnezzar and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah and they destroyed the temple. So it was completely humiliating. 
It destroyed the whole city. They grabbed all these people. But to add insult to injury, they also then destroyed the house where God dwelt, stripping away the identity of the Jewish people. And they're completely devastated. And then the next point says the Jews were taken into captivity for decades, for decades, specifically 50 years. Now, it was technically 70 uh, because they were already in captivity for a while before the temple was destroyed. And they were in captivity, and, and oftentimes we'll hear that or read that, and it just doesn't quite register in our minds. We just think, yeah, they were in captivity, but let me try to bring some modern context to you. Imagine that some enemy nation of ours uh, threatened the United States and, and said after they did, that they developed massive nuclear, extensive nuclear power. And they said to the United States, we're going to take out five major U.S. cities if you don't surrender. And on top of that, if you don't surrender, we're going to take out 10 major cities of your closest allies. And so let's just say that the, the president and the, the, the leaders, the council leaders meet and they think, well, we can't retaliate because this would start massive nuclear global war. And they decide that the only thing we could do is surrender. And all of our government leaders step down and suddenly we're no longer citizens of our nation. Now we're captives to somebody else. So we can't worship as we want. We can't go where we want. We can't live like we wanted. We can't live like we used to. And we're completely in bondage for 50 years. So, I mean, th many children would be born and grow up and not know what it was like before. All they would know is this captivity. And if you could just put yourself there in, in their minds, uh, that this would be a worse nightmare come true. And it just doesn't end. And then you could only imagine the relief and the good news when, the next point here, in 538 BC, about 50,000 people were allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to rebuild. Finally, after five decades, we get to go back home and rebuild. We get to rebuild a house for God. We get to rebuild our identity. We get to rebuild our lives. We get to have our own place again. You could only imagine the relief, the excitement. The Jewish people went back and they started rebuilding the temple for God. And they built the foundation and they built the altar and then it got hard and some Samaritans came in and opposed their work and it got difficult and they stopped. And that's the backstory. So for 14 years, people didn't work on the temple. For 14 years. For five decades in captivity, it's all they thought about, all they dreamed about, was going back and rebuilding the temple. But then after it got difficult, for 14 years, they put the project on hold. And instead of working on God's house, guess what they did? They actually started rebuilding their own homes and their own houses, and they built very, very nice houses, and they forgot about God's house. And so what God did is he raised up the prophet Haggai to call the people back to rebuild the temple. And so I did the best I could to set this up, and now we're going to dive into verse 2 of chapter 1 of Haggai. And it actually starts off to me, this is kind of funny, and you might see the humor in this as well, uh, but he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Say these next two words with me. These people, okay, these people, these people, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, the reason I find this kind of humorous is because almost everywhere else in the Old Testament, when God is talking about these people, he says, my people, 
my people, my people, my people, my people. And then in this case, he does what my wife has done a couple of times when our son is freaking out or misbehaving. All of a sudden, he's not our kid. He's your kid. You wouldn't believe what your kid did today. Noah, you were there when all this happened and is our kid. I don't know why he's my kid now. But anyway, God is like, these people are not acting like my people. These people are saying the time has not yet come to build my temple. Now, why did they think that the time was not now? They thought the time wasn't now because they received opposition. The Samaritans were opposing them. It's the same reason Nehemiah is over trying to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And he's getting opposition for their work as well. And the Samaritans were opposing their rebuilding of the temple. And what's so funny is so often whenever we receive opposition, we think it must not be God's will. This just got hard. We're receiving opposition. So this must not be God's plan for us. This must not be God's will because this just got hard. This just got difficult. And what we need to understand is the closer that we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more opposition we will receive. You see, receiving opposition is not a sign that God is against you. A lot of times it's a sign that you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. Just listen to how we talk about it. I mean, oftentimes we'll say, it's a God thing. And what do we say it's a God thing about? When stuff just miraculously came together, when it just fell in our lap, when it all just worked out. But guess what else is a God thing? It's a God thing when there's blood, sweat, and tears, and there's opposition, and it's really hard. You could look back and say, it's a God thing there. As the old preacher would say, when the farmer prays for a corn crop, God expects him to say amen with overalls on. Amen, somebody, right? It's just how it works. The prophet Haggai and the apostle James They've got a lot in common. The Apostle James in the New Testament, he's going to step in and say faith has got to have some action to it. That inactivity is wicked. That rubber's got to meet the road. And the prophet Haggai is saying we need to move in and do something and be obedient. But when when God calls you to do something, mark it down, there's very likely spiritual opposition and even people opposing you on the way. And when you find yourself being obedient to God, it gets difficult and it gets challenging as it often does. I want to encourage you with one simple thought. When you say, oh, this is hard. This just got difficult. This just got complicated. I want to encourage you with one simple thought if you're taking notes today. That that is to choose the hard right. When it gets hard, I'm going to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Over and over and over again, just tell yourself, God, with your help, enable, empower me to, to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy to quit focusing on God and start focusing on myself. It would be so hard to continue building the temple. But choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy when someone hurts me or offends me. For, for me to get my feelings hurt and to hold a grudge and be angry at them, it would be hard and right to forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. It would be easy to continue to spend more than I have and just buy whatever I want and go deeper, deeper into debt. It's going to be hard and right to begin to live under my means, within my means, and climb out of the debt. It would be so easy to give up. It would be so easy not to make a difference. But we, as followers of Jesus, with God's help, we will choose the hard right 
over the easy wrong. This is what the prophet is going to help empower the people to do, to help us see that you say the time has not come, but the time is now. The time is now. Now, for many of you, I just want you to, to think in your mind and We'll just think in our mind for a moment and ask ourselves, is there an unfinished assignment in my life? I want you to think, is there an unfinished assignment in my life? And then I want you to experience the rest of this message through the lens of what might be an unfinished assignment for you. So just think back. It could be from yesterday. It could be from a year ago. It could be from 14 years ago. Maybe... You were called by God to do something. You had a burden on your heart. You believe God put something in your heart. Maybe it was to reach out to that friend or that person and share your faith with them. But that's hard. It's difficult. And you chose the easy way out and didn't do it. Or maybe it was that you felt led to start honoring God with your body. Or maybe it was to get in shape or to honor God with your body in another way. And it was hard. So you didn't do it. Maybe you felt like you were supposed to serve somewhere in the church and, and it was hard. It was meant rearranging your schedule, meant following through on some things and it was difficult and you didn't do it. Maybe you were supposed to ask that girl out and you chickened out. You didn't do it. Maybe you were supposed to give something away to somebody. There was something that you felt like you were supposed to do, but you didn't follow through. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you were just supposed to start some ministry or, or maybe you were supposed to start leading a group or maybe you were just supposed to take a next step in your faith. And there's something on your heart you felt like it was a real burden, most likely from God, but you didn't do it. You didn't follow through on it. Think about that for a moment. And if God shows you something, I want you to listen to the rest of this message through what might be an unfinished assignment in your life. Now, for many of you, God may speak to you in the very same way that he spoke to the people in the time of Haggai. But I don't know what that is for you. What God called you to do, what that unfinished assignment may be in your life. And there's something in your heart that at one time you felt like it was a burden. You felt like it was a passion. And I just want you to listen to this sermon with what might be the lens of what that might be, that unfinished assignment. For many of you, God is speaking to you in the very same way that he spoke to the people in the time of Haggai, that the time is now. Let's look on your outline in Haggai chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. And we're going to see him use that phrase again and again and again. Give careful thought to your way, to your ways. Is it time for you to be living in these paneled houses when my house is left in ruins? Now, you may say, what is a paneled house? What is a paneled house? Well, this is just, um, most commentaries will tell you that this is high-end luxury living. And God's saying, uh, look, you overcame the difficulties to build your house. You overcame the difficulties to make yourself comfortable. You overcame the difficulties to make a way, but you didn't overcome the difficulties when it came in putting my household over yours. Now, I, I want you to note, I don't want this to be a misconception today. God is not upset that they have a nice house. 
God's not upset that they have nice things. But you better believe he's upset that they put that over God. They put themselves first. And so we've got to look at our life today and say, give careful thought to your ways. Is there an unfinished assignment, a place where we've put our own comfort over what God has called us to do? Are we trying to make a name more than we're trying to make a difference? Are we putting our household before God's household? Are you consumed with yourself instead of being consumed with God and showing his love to other people? Is there something that we're putting ahead of God? Give careful thought to your ways. God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. I am so thankful for the people in my life who have encouraged me not to delay. The times in my life where laziness was setting in, procrastination was setting in, when I would look and say, that would be hard, that would be difficult, and they stepped in and said, do not delay. They said, no, choose the hard right. They would say, Ryland, don't wait for anything to be generous. Don't wait for anything to serve. Don't wait for anything to develop that gift inside of you. And I want to be that person in your life today that says, don't wait. The time is now. Some of you right now, there will be something in your life that you know you're supposed to do it. God's called you to do it. And it would be so easy to take the wrong, to take what's easy. But we're going to say, no, choose the hard right. The time is now. I want to show you some verses that to me are absolutely haunting as we consider that so little has changed from 500 years before Christ. In verse 6, it says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow, does that strike you like it strikes me? Does anyone feel that? He says, here's the consequences for not putting God first. Let me give you a modern translation of this verse today, okay? Modern translation. I'm working my tail off, and I've got nothing to show for it. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm pouring my life into this and it just feels empty and hollow. I have more than I've ever had, but I'm still not satisfied. I entertain myself, I go to games, I go to movies, I eat out, and I'm still, but I'm still longing for something more. Dead serious, okay? Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting yourself above God? Are you putting your own comfort above ahead of God's calling? And is there some unfinished business? God led you to do something and you didn't do it. Look at verses seven to eight. This is so cool to me. God is so loving and so good. I think uh, oftentimes we, we read this stuff in the Old Testament when we say God is so hard, he's so harsh, but, but the people were the ones that abandoned God. And he steps in, he says, I could have looked the other way, I could have abandoned you. But I'm going to step in and I want you to regain my presence. We're going to make this right again. Watch how loving God is. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again. And then basically he's going, what he's going to do is he's going to break what he wants the people to do down into three simple steps. Okay? Go up to the mountain. Bring down the timber. And build my house. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, and build my house. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, and build my house. I'll give it to you again in case it's overwhelming. Mother's Day, a lot on your mind here. It says it again. Go up to the mountain, write this in. Bring down the timber, 
and build my house. Go up to the mountain. Now, wait a minute. That's going go, to be hard. Have you seen that mountain? Yeah, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Bring down the timber. You can't just roll down timber off a mountain. How are you going to get this timber down? Yeah, it's going to be hard. Choose the hard right. Come down and, and build my house step by step, step by step. He says, here's one, two, and three. Here's the problem. Some of us are saying, God, what about steps four, five, and six? I need the details. Who's going to pay for this? How's it going to happen? Who's going to lead this? Where, how, how, where exactly do we go? And how long are we going to be up there? And am I going to get a tax write-off for this? And God, I need to know the details. And how much time is it going to take? And, and at the end, am I going to get a little placard inside the temple that says I went up to the mountain and brought down the timber and built this so generations from now, they'll see that I did this. God, I need steps four, five, and six. And God says, don't worry about step four, five, and six because you've got one, two, and three to do. God says that his word is like a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And if his word is a lamp to our feet, we may not be able to see four, five, and six. They may not be illuminated until we take steps one, two, and three. But we want all the details. We want to know what's in it for us. We want to know what four, five, and six are. We want the details. And God says, you can't handle the details. I'll give you what you need when you get there. But you need to take the first step. So what do I do? I go up to the mountain, I bring down the timber, and I start building his house. And, and I imagine the people would say, well, that's your steps for us? Well, duh. That's not what we know. That's what we know we need to do. And God would say, great, then do it. Yeah, it's obvious, but I'm telling them to you because you're not doing them. Yes, here's the steps. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking about it. Quit dreaming about it. Quit delaying. Quit procrastinating. Quit putting it off and do it. Go up to the mountain. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's that you want to be in better shape. You don't know where to start. Okay, start eating healthy. Start getting some sleep. Start exercising. You may not know what all that looks like. You may not know what steps four, five, and six are, but take a step and do one, two, and three. Maybe your marriage isn't very good. You're not quite sure what to do about it. You say, God, what do I do? And he says, you know what? Humble yourself, apologize for what you've done wrong, and start doing what you did at first. Send the cards, send the flowers, give the hugs, give the kisses, give the words of encouragement. Do what you used to do. Maybe you're in financial trouble. You say, I'm not sure what to do. And God says, get someone around you that that knows what they're doing, that's been there before you. Start living within your means and start paying down a debt. Just get going. Just start it. Just get going. This is what it means to live a spirit-led life. It doesn't mean I have all the details. It means I don't look in the future. I don't want four, five, and six. It means God's called me to take a step and I'm taking it. That's living by the Spirit. And even though I want God show me to every, want Him to show me everything, I don't need everything to take the next step on what He's called me to do. The way to get started is to quit talking and start doing. Write that in. The way to get started is to quit talking and start doing. Quit talking about it, quit dreaming, quit thinking, and start. Do something today. Do the next thing that God has showed you and called you to do and do it today. Be faithful today. Today, this Sunday, be faithful. Don't miss it. You had an opportunity. You have an opportunity sitting here. Don't miss it. Don't take advantage. You got to take advantage of this opportunity. Don't miss the opportunities. I I tell you, I I think about the young person in our church and the opportunities for you. 
And I just fear that some of you that aren't taking advantage of them are going to become an adult and you're going to look back and say, why didn't I take advantage of those student services? Why didn't I take advantage that there wasn't just one person at that church that cared about young people, but there was a whole team of people. In fact, there were even small group leaders that were opening up their home and wanted to care for and love for young people. Why didn't I take advantage of those trips? Why didn't I take advantage of those serving opportunities? Why didn't I get on a dream team? Why didn't I just fear for the parent of a young person who's going to watch their kid grow to be an adult? and say, why didn't I get more involved in getting my kid involved in that? Why didn't I take advantage of a church that loved my kids so much? I just think of the person who, there's the opportunities to take their next steps in front of them, to do what God has called them to do, that maybe you're supposed to reach out to that, to that hurt person, to that person that offended you, or the person that you offended, and make it right. And you say, well, what if they don't respond well? Listen, you're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the obedience. And I do what God's called me to do. I'm not responsible for the outcome. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. Obedience is yours. Maybe you've got a sin that's just plaguing you and plaguing you. And you haven't told anyone about it. You haven't reached out for help. And that sin in the dark like that is just running wild. But if you were to draw it into the light, you would see the blessing of obedience the blessings of obedience on the other side, I mean, they're just unimaginable. Maybe you're, you're faking a happy marriage and you've got everyone around you fooled. And it's, it's an easy lie. It's a hard and right to say, you know what? We need help. We need counseling. Maybe God's uh, prompted you uh, to serve your church in some way. Maybe God has called you to, to live in Christian community. You need it. You know you need it. You know you won't do life well alone. And you've thought about it and you've thought about it and you've thought about it. And you say, no, this is not, uh, not the time. The time has not yet come uh, for me to join that small group, for me to lead that group. You say, I know I need the godly friendships. I know God is calling me to be in an, in an Acts chapter 2 like fellowship because life is better together. But it's an unfinished assignment. And I think God, through Haggai, would say to us today, take steps one, two, and three, find a group, contact the leader, and show up. You want steps four, five, and six? You want all the details when you haven't even taken steps one, two, and three, and we're going to be obedient. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. I'm not going to be overcome with not having steps four, five, and six to do one, two, and three. I talked to a young person recently was very passionate about the Lord, wanted to grow to do great things for God. They even said, I'm even praying about becoming a pastor. I probed a little bit. They're not even serving in their church right now. I said, you're so worried about steps four, five, and six. You're not taking advantage of the opportunities, the steps one, two, and three God has given you right now. Quit talking. Start doing. This is the message of Haggai, that the time is now. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're present with us. That your word is living. We thank you that it's active. We thank you that something that happened 500 years before the birth of Christ is as true today as it was true then. God, we thank you for your grace. You could have just looked the other way. You could have not cared. But you cared enough to give your people another chance to regain your presence. And God, you give us another chance today. 
And God, I know for some people in this room right now, what you've called them to do is difficult. To reach out to that person again would be difficult. To, to step out of a comfort zone, to step into this calling is going to be difficult. But I thank you that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Church, as we keep praying today, there are many of you right now that the time is now for you to take a step toward Jesus. Maybe you grew up around the church and believing in God, but the reality is you've never truly trusted Christ. And some of you right now, you look at your life and say, there are things I'm putting ahead of God, but God has something better for me than that, and the time is now. That he truly wants to be first and he deserves to be first because he is the king of kings. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus was to reveal how good he is to show us his heart and his love. Jesus was perfect in every way without sin. And Jesus hung around and loved the worst sinners. He loved them as they were. And then he died for our sins and he rose again so that anybody, anybody, that includes me, that includes you, doesn't matter how dirty you feel or how far away from God you feel at this moment. When you call on Jesus, he hears your prayer, forgives all your sins, every single one of them, and he makes you completely brand new. And he calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you pray this with me in your heart and mind? Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. Jesus, be first, my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you and follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. Jesus, my life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.